So what I want voters to know is that this agency determines almost everything they care about. They care about how much they pay for bills. It's a kitchen table issue. And they care about climate change. In Georgia, polls show that 70% of voters care about climate change. Hello and welcome to On The Grid, Z-Prime's podcast about important issues regarding energy, cities, and much more. I'm your host, Ricky Murray, but today, I've got a treat for you. Energy and policy go hand in hand, and this week, Z-Prime Senior Director of Research and Content Aaron Otan sits down with Patty Duran, who's running for Public Service Commissioner in Georgia's District 2. Patty shares with Erin her inspirations for running for public office, the unexpected challenges she faced during the campaign, and what items she would like the PSC to focus on in the coming years. So pop in those headphones, y'all, and turn it up. It's time to get on the grid. Hello, I'm Erin Otan, Senior Director of Research and Content at Z Prime. And I'm joined today by Patty Duran, founder of Cool Planet Solutions and a candidate for Georgia State Public Service Commission. Thank you for joining me today, Patty. I'm really happy to be talking with you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you very much. So you are an energy industry veteran. Can you just give me a brief overview of your background and experience in energy? Absolutely, sure. For the last 10 years, except for the last year while I was running for office, I was the CEO and president of the Smart Energy Consumer Collaborative. So from 2011 to 2021, I ran that nonprofit in the energy sector. And what we did was researched consumers and grid modernization. What do consumers know about smart meters? What do they know about the smart grid? What are their interests in advanced rates and rate design? What do they know and want from their utilities for new products and services versus maybe third parties? What do they want in terms of rooftop solar, electric vehicles, access to data? Really just the whole world of grid edge technologies, which is where grid modernization is really accelerating. So we studied that space and produced research which I then presented at conferences or on webinars and um, also went to public service commissions and did workshops and held meetings and things like that. And then we also had a big program on educating consumers about grid modernization and the smart grid. So we had a website, newsletters, social media programs, and YouTube videos. So the whole nine yards. So. After years of working at this nonprofit and talking with consumers directly, why why the shift and decision to run for election? Right. So, and I forgot to mention before the Smart Energy Consumer Collaborative, I worked at Georgia Tech with a professor there and his team of PhD students on smart grid um, projects and um, proposals to the federal government for funding. So that's really where I learned a lot before running that nonprofit. So the reason I shifted is that when I went to energy conferences across the US, 
or did webinars, I realized that there was a lot of exciting programs and decisions and directions that were happening across the country with other state commissions and other utilities that were not happening in Georgia. I won't not at all, but just most of the forward thinking, exciting, money saving programs were not happening here. And I would come back to Georgia and be disappointed that they weren't happening. But then um, in 2019, the real, the real decision to run came about because we issued um, a research product on rates, rates and rate design, because by all accounts, the way electricity is priced is inefficient and isn't going to work for a clean energy future because the flat rate pricing, no matter what time of the day or night is, is expensive and wasteful. And so we did a study on probably eight or 10 different rates and rate design going on in the energy industry. And what would it take to get consumers to enroll in them? Because it needs to be voluntary, right? If people aren't gonna be forced on it. And so we studied time of use rates, peak time rebates, real-time pricing, all, all, you know, the whole world of, of them. And there was only one in that set that consumers did not want and eroded support for variable rate pricing. And that was demand charge. Demand charge rate plan loses consumer interest and support pretty significantly. So I presented those findings to as usual on webinars and so forth, wrote essays and all that. And it just turns out that the one rate, that one rate plan was the one being proposed at the Georgia Public Service Commission by Georgia Power. They wanted approval to default enroll customers moving into new dwellings on that rate plan. And um, since we showed consumers didn't want that rate plan, the Public Service Commission staff invited me to present those findings to the commission, which I did. And I also brought other, I also brought actually RAPS research, the Regulatory Assistance Project. They have research on demand charge rate plans harming low-income consumers because it's very regressive. The demand charge is very regressive. And it's a complicated rate plan that violates a lot of bond rights principles of rate design. So for instance, it's complicated. And a, a key principle of rate design is that consumers must understand it. And it also shifts costs around, and that's another violation. And so I presented RAP's research, I presented mine, and then the PSC staff itself opposed this rate plan, and then they brought in experts, there were interveners that opposed it. But anyway, it passed. And so as of 2021, um, Georgia Power's default enrolling people moving into new residential dwellings onto a demand charge rate plan only they're not calling it demand charge. They call it smart usage. And they don't disclose the demand charge on the bill. So it's hidden. And so I was pretty upset. I was shocked actually that the commission didn't do a better job protecting particularly low income and vulnerable populations. So when that happened, I realized that things were worse here than I realized. And after doing a, a good bit of research, I decided to run to um, unseat the incumbent that I'm running against because um, I don't think he was doing, he is not doing a good job protecting customers. So that's the long answer, but it really comes down to that incident that caused me to run.
Well, first of all, it's pretty alarming that they can just not disclose uh, what they're actually charging people for. Um, yes. But second of all, it's pretty inspiring to hear that story of you saw something that you just knew wasn't right. And that's what um, that's really what inspired you to run. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that running an election campaign is quite different from the past work that that you've done. What have been some of the unexpected challenges that have come up in running a campaign? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because this week, this exact week is my one year campaign. And I just finished a blog this morning on what are the top five things that I learned from running for office in case people are curious. So I'm going to be pushing that out on our email and other platforms pretty soon. Um, some, of the, some of the things are that it's harder than I thought. Um, I've always had a lot of energy and, and I've also, always also um, been good at handling stress. So those two things went into the yes column when I thought about running. But now I'm finding some crack. I'm like, oh, I don't have unlimited energy. And gee, um, <laughs> this isn't exactly how I thought it would be for stress. It's quite a bit harder. Um, so I'm finding I'm having to use new techniques to handle stress, manage energy. Um, the good the good things I've discovered is the huge world of support. I've never imagined I'd have so many donors. I'd raise so much money that I'd have such um, positive comments given to me about thanking me for running and thanking me for stepping out there and uh, hoping I win and what can I do to help you and that kind of work and support has been invaluable, really. Um, I guess the biggest surprise, of course, is that my incumbent and the commission chair decided to um, try to disqualify me from the race. I'm, in a way, it's flattering because it means that they think that I'm a serious candidate and they're worried about it. But it has been disappointing, especially to see my opponent then lie about it and say he didn't have anything to do with it. When in fact we have copies of texts where he gives my address to the commission chair who's in redistricting to disqualify me. So that has been unexpected and disappointing. Um, but overall, it's been a really great experience in this last year, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been surreal, but amazing. Yeah, I've I've read a little bit about uh, the case and what's happening, and it's it's really the the fact that that practice is legal. I think brings up a whole host of other issues. Um, I guess one of them being that this kind of thing happens often, and the general public is is not aware of it. Um, and maybe in general generally the public doesn't know all that much about the PSC and the impact that it has on their lives. I know um, here in Texas where I am, I think not many people really knew much and maybe still don't about the Texas Public Utility Commission until after winter storm Yuri last year and then they were all over the news, but um, people don't really know that much about these, these agencies. So um, can, can you talk a, a little bit about why the PSC is such an important office and maybe what people who are not in the energy industry should know about it? Absolutely. Yep. So in our case, it's Public Service Commission. 
which is an extra hurdle that you don't have in Texas because it's called Public Utility Commission. So people know in two seconds it deals with utilities. Mm-hmm. Georgia it says service. So people don't know what service means. It doesn't mean anything to them. So I have the extra hurdle of explaining this agency regulates energy. It regulates how much you pay for natural gas. It regulates how much you pay for electricity and it regulates for other things too, like coal ash cleanup and they as building of new power plants. And so, um, so what I want consumers, or I should say voters to know is that this agency determines almost everything they care about. They care about how much they pay for bills. It's a kitchen table issue. And they care about climate change. In Georgia, polls show that 70% of voters care about climate change. And so if the commission is not requiring Georgia Power to produce renewables in their energy mix, that is something that is felt by the people of Georgia and surrounding states since you know climate change is not does not recognize state boundaries. And right. when you think about the two biggest emitters in the country for a long time, and definitely in the Southeast, it was Georgia Power and Duke Energy. And Duke Energy has been managed better by the North Carolina Commission because there is a renewable portfolio standard with goals. And the commission has Duke Energy now at 20% and growing for renewables in their mix whereas Georgia has no renewable energy goals or climate change goals or RPS. And our renewables is only at 10%. And um, that's a big difference. And then the other thing people need to know is that there is, these are, these are for-profit monopolies. There is some confusion that people have about what a monopoly is. And they think it's a government agency because it is issued by the government, you know, a monopoly is granted to Georgia Power by the people of Georgia through the legislature. So some of them, many of them think that the utility is a, um, a government agency, but it's not. They answer to shareholder wealth. They're a rational actor in their pursuit of profits. But since there's no competition, that is why there's a public service commission to take the place of competition to control rates, to protect people from monopoly power. And this commission has not been doing that. And I don't say that lightly. I've researched the commission decisions from the 2019 rate case. There were 38 decisions and I researched all 38 of them. I had to get some help with energy consultants and experts because a lot of it is really complicated. And I was able to document that 99% of those decisions went in favor of the utility against public interest. The number drops if we're talking about non-substantive decisions like how often a report is due and what could be in the report. But when it comes to substantive decisions, things that cost money and make a difference to people, it was 99%. And that was shocking and disappointing to me. And all you have to do, you don't have to look very far to look at Plant Vogel to see the scandal that nuclear power plant is the most expensive power plant ever built on earth now. And it's not done, but we're already at that record. And that plant is seven years behind schedule. It was supposed to be $14 billion. It's now $32 billion. And again, not done. And I think the worst thing is that the commission has no cap on the costs. 
I mean, who gets to build something with no budget cap and there's no consumer protections built in? And in 2017, when they had the go, no go decision to continue to build it, when Westinghouse went bankrupt and that triggered contractual uh, reviews, this commission um, ignored public commission staff recommendations to not continue, that there were cheaper ways to meet that energy, even including the sunk costs. It's the classic example of sunk costs. So those are the things I explained to voters that the commission is not protecting them, that the public service commission protects them or supposed to protect them on their rates and on clean energy decisions. And that's why I need to be elected because they have really failed the people of Georgia. It seems like at a certain point you would say, okay, this project just needs to be scrapped. Um, yeah, would, kind of yeah I think it's too late now, but in 2017, it would have been a good decision. And then what I bring to the table is I want people to know that I will protect their pocketbooks, that I will make sure Georgia Power makes a profit. Of course, they should be stable financially, but they don't need to be top five in the country. They don't need to be blocking meaningful clean energy programs. And since I've been at the Smart Energy Consumer Collaborative and I was at Georgia Tech, I know what grid modernization means. I know about data analytics and the things that, that really cool, you know, distributed energy resource, resource management systems and advanced demand response and automated energy efficiency. There's so many great things that we could do in this state that could benefit people either because they like cool technologies or because they just wanna save money or because they care about climate change and clean energy. Those are the values and experiences that I would bring because I have had a front row seat across the country in what options are doing. And some of the best programs like peak time rebates where people can shift their energy use away from expensive times of day, if they can, if they don't want to, they don't have to, but if they can, they, make, they get a rebate on their bill. And if enough people do it with the right marketing program design, it prevents the need for a substation upgrade or a new power plant or a peaker plant being operated. There's just a whole world of really cool things that could happen and are happening in other states but aren't happening in Georgia that I want to bring here. It's surprising too that you said Georgia Power has no climate goals. Um, so I guess what are what are two or three of the top things that you think uh, the PSC should focus on in the next couple of years. Yeah, and let me clarify, I said Georgia has no climate goals. Oh, Georgia, sorry. Georgia Power does have, I mean, Georgia Power itself does not, but their owner, parent, Southern Company have a 2050 goal, but it's not real, to be honest with you. There are reports issued, there was just one issued two months ago that showed they're not doing what they need to do to meet that commitment. It's, I don't know if it was just greenwashing or marketing ploy. I don't really understand how a major company can make such a claim and then not proceed to do it. But um, so I corrected you, but you weren't wrong either. They don't have goals, except the parent company does, except they're not real. In fact, one of the most disappointing thing in the recently decided, well, it's not decided yet, the vote's July 21st, but in the recently issued integrated resource plan, 
is the amount of natural gas that is being proposed and is likely to be approved by this commission, given that everything Georgia Power wants. Um, there's more natural gas proposed in this IRP than the amount of energy that will come out of Plant Vogel, over 2,200 megawatts. That's ridiculous in this time of climate change that we would be pursuing gas. That, you know, that is, that should not be happening. We, we don't have demand response here. That's where we should start. We're number 48th in the nation for energy efficiency spending. That's where we should start. We're at 40th for rooftop solar. That's where we should start. There's, we don't even, I can't even begin to get into all the grid modernization programs we're not pursuing because it's more profitable to build and get PPAs and things like. So where do I think the commission should go in two or three years? It's those things. They should remove the cap for rooftop solar so that people can enter that market and businesses can flourish in that market. Right now, our neighbors, North Carolina has and South Carolina have 20,000 homes under rooftop solar. We've got five. Oh, and wow. South Carolina has half the population. That's ridiculous. Florida has 60,000 homes in rooftop solar. We're a sunny state. We should have, we should be in number, number one there. And that's one area I would go in. The other one is I would have clean energy and climate change goals and commitments. Another one is increase energy efficiency and demand side management spending is another area that we don't have anything meaningful. It's, it's ridiculous how low our demand side, all the money goes for supply because that's a profit stream, but not demand, which is easily met, very easily met without any for people. Mm -hmm. um, so those, and then I guess, I guess the big summary I'd say to answer your question is, just more respect for people because during COVID, when the economy was shut down that summer of 2020, when people could not work or were ill, this commission allowed Georgia Power to resume disconnections in July. July and August are the two oddest months in Georgia. Georgia Power disconnected over 130,000 people. And okay. at, at the same time, the commission granted them complete recovery of all COVID costs. So there was no need to do that. That was very disrespectful. Most commissions at least waited till the fall when the weather was cool, and many waited a, a full year until February or March of one. But we began the earliest state in the nation in July, just two months after the economy was shut down. That's just disrespectful. And there's many more examples I could give you, but that's the, that's the one I'll stop with and that I would, I would change and put people's respect and dignity at the front of the commission decision-making. Well, I certainly hope that you win your court case and that you appear on the ballot in November. Um, and I encourage everyone who's watching today to follow Patty on Twitter. Uh, her handle is Patty for G-A-P-S-C. Um, you can also find her on LinkedIn. And thank you so much for joining me today, Patty. It's been great talking with you and thank you in the rest of your campaign. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us today and you for listening along. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in joining us on the grid, email us at info at zprime.com.
For updates, please be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at ZPrime and on Twitter at ZPrime underscore research. This episode was produced by Ricky Murray and edited by Aria Levanti. Cover art is designed by Mia Dance.